Welcome to this week's message from Vertical Life Church. We exist to awaken and empower you to follow Jesus. To stay connected, find us online at www.verticallife.church. Good morning. All right, as you can tell, we are on a clock moving through things to give you an opportunity to check out some of the community groups and dinner parties and things like that because you're able to leave your children in children's church while you go do your little thing. And so we are wanting to honor your time and give you time to be able to do that. So everything's a little bit shorter than normal today, but we're going to jump right into this message. Um, have you ever... Have you ever thought, like, if your life was a soundtrack, what would it be? <laughs> I mean, so, <laughs> if you have a, maybe, a, like, if, there, if someone was watching your life and said, hey, I'm going to make a soundtrack about that person's life, what do you think it would be? Or if, you're, if your life was an advertisement or a billboard, what would, it, what would it say? Or if it was a blockbuster that's getting ready to come out, this Christmas, what would the title of it be and what would it be about? And the reality is this, is that all of our lives are telling a story of what we believe is worth living for. Every one of us, if someone was to watch your life, it's telling a story, it's declaring that this thing that you're living for is worth your time, your affection, your pursuit, and your energy. You know, Neil Cole, he makes a statement. He says that ultimately each church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as her disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, preaching, programs, or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. Powerful statement, is it not? And so the reality is that we want, as you being a part of this body, as a part of this church, that the story of your life is like, is making much about Jesus. Which brings me to this text here where Paul, you know, here in Philippians, we're going to dive into it, where he has made up his mind that the story of his life, that the message of his life is going to be about Jesus, is going to be about the kingdom of God. That everything that forms him, that shapes him, that influences him is the message of Jesus, even to the point that he's willing to lay down his life for him. You know, here, so we're going to look in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. And sometimes I like to kind of imagine what it was like for them to go through this text or through this scripture. And one of the things I think about is they just received this letter from Paul. They're excited to hear about him. How is he doing? Is he doing well? Um, And maybe they have a candlelight, like a candle lit and stuff, and they're just gathered around getting ready to read this letter. And this is what he says. He says, I want you to know. So already he's like, I know you're concerned about me because I'm in prison. But what I want you to know is this, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I mean, this already is challenging me. I don't know what your mind would be on if you were in prison. 
I would be thinking, like, how can I get out of here? His thought is, how do I advance the kingdom and the message of Jesus? He continues on. He says, in verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Here he is in prison. He doesn't care if his reputation is being dragged through the mud. All he cares is that much is made about Jesus. He's actually leveraging his suffering in this time in prison, saying that his discomfort, his imprisonment is a good thing. Why? Because it's a platform to proclaim Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're like Paul, but for me, if I was in prison, my prayer day in and day out would be, God, please get me out of this place. He's taking this and saying, hey, yeah, I'm sure he wants to be out, but I'm going to leverage it for the advancement of, of the kingdom of God. And here we as Americans, we do everything we can to avoid suffering to avoid discomfort. And here, Paul is leveraging it and rejoicing in it. In verse 19, he continues. He says, for I know that through your prayers, that's how important prayers are, says that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but we have to become a people of prayer. We're constantly pushing and reminding you, be a person of prayer. Fathers and mothers, be praying over your family. Day, daily be praying for them. Pray for your marriage. Pray for your children. Pray for your parents. Pray for your loved ones. We have to understand that we need to become a people of prayer. You know, Beth Moore makes this statement. She says, there are parts of our calling, works of the Holy Spirit, and defeats of the darkness that will come no other way than through furious fervent, faith-filled, unceasing prayer. We have to become people of prayer. Amen? Verse 20, he continues on. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by what? Life or by death. This is extremely foreign to us as Western Christians, the idea of, com- of discomfort in our lives. So what I would say here is that Paul is actually challenging. I mean, this wasn't the purpose of his letter, but when we read it and apply it to our lives, he's challenging our Western theology. We think more like this, God, you can be glorified in my prosperity. Think about it. So give me that job and I will tell the world about how awesome you are and how you did it. Give me a wife and I will serve you. Give me a house and I will host for you. Think about it. I want you to make much of your name through my prosperity. But Paul is saying, even through my death and my suffering, I'm going to make much of Jesus. So what about the opposite? Will you still love him if you have to wait for that spouse, if you have to honor him in your singleness? 
Do you have God? Is there a jury out in your life on God's goodness? Waiting to decide based on what he does and how he performs and how he dances for you, whether he's worthy of your life or not. And what Paul is saying here is life or death, he's good and he's worthy. Jesus above everything. That's the key to his joy is that he's realized that Jesus is everything and that's all that I need. So will you trust him if you lose your job? Will you honor him if you quote unquote suffer? What if he has a different plan for you? Will you trust him? You know, Charles Ellicott, who's a theologian in the late 1800s, he makes the statement, my body will be the theater in which Christ's glory is displayed. Is that the story of our lives? I want that to be the story of this church on a macro level. But for that to be true, it has to begin on a micro level in our individual lives. Verse 21, he continues on. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better better. This, this passage right here has always like, I don't know what to do with it. He's saying, I'd rather, I'd rather be done with you guys. I want to be with Jesus so bad. And we're here like praying for an extension of our life. And he's like, I'm ready to go because I know what's in eternity is way better than what we have here. And that's what my prayer is like. God, grip my heart with this view of eternity. That I can see the beauty of Jesus in the kingdom. That I know that you are so much better and so much greater than anything that this world can offer. But instead our prayers like extend our life. Give me prosperity. All these different things. Not realizing that he is the true source of prosperity. To have him we have everything. And so this, all, this passage has always challenged me. Because of his longing to be with Jesus. Because I can't say that that's my cry. I can't sit here and say, yeah, I'm ready to go right now. Like if Jesus was returning tomorrow, I'd be like, yeah, he's coming tomorrow. I don't know. There's, a, there's things I still want to live out, if I'm honest. But that tells me that my heart truly doesn't understand how magnificent he is and what he has for us. It's so much better than anything this earth can offer. And then he's saying here, he's like, but I'll stay because of you. It's like just because of you. So he continues on here, and he's, he says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on whose account? Your account, not his. He's ready to go. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Look at all those yous. Look, where's his eyes? Not on himself. It's on the people he's leading. He's literally pouring out his life for the gospel and pouring out his life for other individuals. Like, he didn't have to tell us all this stuff. To me, when I, when I read this, it's like he's thinking out loud for you and I to see a pattern, which is others first. I love this quote here by Jeff Cook. I've read it before, but I think it applies well here, especially in such a me-centric generation and mentality that we face now. He says, the more I make my life, my well-being, my enlightenment, and my success primary, the farther I step from reality. Thus the hell-bound do not travel, travel downward. They travel inward, cocooning themselves behind a mass of vanity, personal rights, religiosity, and defensiveness, 
obsession with self is the defining mark of a disintegrating soul. If we would just adapt or dis, uh, and adopt this pattern of thinking that Paul's laying out here for us of others first, I think, it would, I think it would deliver us of a lot of our depression, anxiety, and all these other things as well. That our eyes are not just focused on our, ourselves, but it's focused on other people. In fact, I challenge you, if you spend this whole week not thinking about yourself and thinking about others, I bet you'll feel a lot better by the end of the week. So up to this moment here, Paul, what he's been doing, he's just been explaining his situation from his perspective and his perspective. And now there's a change in this letter, and he's now going to challenge the Philippians in their situation. So he's like, hey, here's, here's where I'm at. I'm in prison. I'm suffering for the kingdom. My eyes and my attention are in Jesus, the advancement of the gospel, and you. I'm so concerned about you. He continues here and he begins to challenge them. And this is where I'm going to lean into for the rest of our time together. He says, verse 27, only let your manner of life. So the way you behave, the way you act, the way you talk, what you spend your money on, how you entertain yourself, the people that you spend time with. Let that pattern of life be worthy of what? The American dream? No, it says worthy of the gospel. That the way we live is telling a story. It's placing value on something. And so often Christians, the way we live, we have declared how worthy the American dream is. Not the gospel. And this is not to downplay the pursuit of things and having nice things or establishing a retirement or things like that. But when the message of your life becomes the American dream, there is an issue. There is a problem. And we have to audit our lives and ask ourselves, when I audit my life, is it making much of Jesus? Like if someone stood back and looked at my life, would they say, man, that guy, that woman, that family, they love Jesus. They make much of him. And I just want to watch as they continue to lay down their life for Jesus and it challenges me. Do we live like that? He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see or am absent, I may what? I may hear. Hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only listen to me, Western Christians, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Like you're hearing of my life. That I'm living in a way that's worthy of the gospel. Can I hear of yours? What is your life saying? And that's the, the part right there that stands out to me. That am I living in a way, is the manner of my life worthy of the gospel? And what is my life saying? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Because all of our lives are saying something. So the question that I have for you is what is your life saying? 
What is it saying? If your name came up in the conversation, what would be said of you? Most likely, it's probably found in what you talk about. It's found in what you cry about. It's found in what you spend your money on, how you spend your time, what keeps you up at night, what you watch, what you read, how you scroll, what you get angry over, and what you fight for. It's probably the reputation that you have. But if your name came up in a conversation, what's the first thing that people would say? What is your life saying? So to remain true to what Paul is saying here in this specific situation with the Philippians, Paul is telling them that what their lives are saying is shaped around what they are willing to suffer for. Now, when I say suffer, I'm not talking about infirmity or pain or destruction. I'm talking about the circumstances that you and I are willing to endure to acquire something that we desire. And in other words, we suffer for what we value. We're all suffering with that, in that, with that definition in mind. We're all suffering for something, a status, for money for our kids to be homeschooled. Mom say, amen. I'm suffering every week. A beach body. Saying no to those extra carbs. The point is that all of us are enduring a set of circumstances to acquire something that we desire. So we're suffering for what we value. What are you willing to suffer for when it comes to Jesus? And honestly, we don't know how much we value something until we face conflict or suffering around it. We don't face, let's be honest, we don't face the same persecution as the Philippians did. We don't in any way at this time. But we do have circumstances that, we, that can be challenging, whether it's financial, relational, or emotional. And so a question I have for you in light of this is how much is Jesus worth to you? His kingdom. What value have you placed on him? I have a list of questions behind me. Is he worthy of my pride? Is he worthy of your pride? Is he worthy of your comfort? Is he worthy of your dignity that you're willing to look foolish in front of your friends? Is he worthy of your finances? You're you're saying, hey, I'm not going to go beyond this. Is he worthy of your security? Is he worthy of your plans and your own ambitions? Is he worthy of it? Is he worthy of your relationships that you're going to begin to say no to these because you realize they're taking you down the wrong path? And not only you, but you're realizing that those relationships are influencing your entire family. Is he worthy of your life? Is he worthy of you leading your family differently than the rest of Holly Springs, Cary Apex? That you're beginning to say, hey, we're not going to be consumed with all these activities throughout the week, removing my child from the kingdom of God and the influence of Christ-centered community that would have on him. Does my faith and obedience to Jesus have a price tag? 
can you be bought? And we say no, but your life is it telling a different story? Is it telling a different story? You know, for 300 years, this is, Eugene Peterson says this, that for 300 years of the church's life, the single most important model of the Christian life was that of a martyr, not a celebrity Christian, not some YouTube Christian or TikTok celebrity pastor. It was a martyr. The person whose witness was authentic to the point of death. That's why Jesus says here in Mark chapter 8, 34 through 37, he says, in, in the calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So I'll leave you with this question. What is your life saying? Listen, it's not about pursuing suffering. But it's about living with conviction. And we have a spineless Christian church in the West. And we can't just point our fingers at the church and say it's a spineless Christian church because you and I make up that church. And so the reality is is that living with, is that it's not about pursuing suffering, but living with conviction. And you do not know if you're living with conviction until what you're living for will cost you something. Once again, what is your life saying? If your name came up in the conversation, what is it? What is it saying? And I also want to leave you with this question. What needs to change in your life so that Jesus becomes the message of your life? Only you can answer that. But all of our lives are saying something. What are they saying? What is it saying? And I want this church body on the macro level. It may not be the most popular church or maybe even the most comfortable. But I want to walk and live this life with a group of people who say, hey, I want the message of my life to be King Jesus in the advancement of his kingdom. Amen. Let's stand. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. We're going to release you here in a second. Um, so if you want prayer, they'll be here to pray with you. And you'll be free to go out and check out the different booths and so forth. And um, 
You can leave your kids and children's church for, for a while you check those out. But I just really want to challenge you to, to get involved. Get involved in church. Get involved in community. Get involved in relationships here. You know, I'm going to read this quote to you. It's from Christine Pohl. She says, The ways we've been formed by church and culture have not given us the skills or virtues we need to be part of the very communities we long for and try to create. While we might want community, it is often community on our terms with easy entrances and exits, lots of choice and support, and minimal responsibilities. That's usually how we approach community. It's not how it's going to happen. You and I have to make a decision that if this is what we want, we're going to go after it. And so keep that in mind as you begin to look at these opportunities out there. There may not be one that fits every little need, every little time that you have opening. But you got to ask yourself that if you want to be involved in relationships, man, make the time for it in your life. Amen. Father, I bless this church. I thank you for what you're doing in their lives. I thank you for the grace to see you rightly, to run after you with everything inside of us, God. Let this all be done from joy and delight because we see you, King Jesus. We magnify you and we pray that we make much of you. In Jesus' name we pray and we all say amen. Come on, guys. You are dismissed. Love you guys. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected or find more information about Vertical Life Church, please visit our website at www.verticallife.church.